Hello and welcome. It's Graham Norton here. Thank you for listening to my Virgin Radio podcast with Waitrose. What a weekend we had. So here is a collection of what we got up to, starting with Darren Brown chatting to us about his brand new book, A Book of Secrets, alongside details about his nationwide tour. Queen legend Roger Taylor joins us to talk about his brand new single from his new album. And novelist Robert Harris fills us in on the Cicero trilogy. But before all that, here's Maria and Graham's guide. Yay! <laughs> I'm in the building. Yes, you are. Security's been alerted. I'm sorry, I was a little delayed getting in, Graham, because I'm wearing a jumpsuit today. And foolishly, I forgot that, of course, when you go to the loo, you have to take the whole thing off. Oh. It's a very bad design fault. Don't ever buy a jumpsuit, but I can see you in one. I can. No, I thought you might have been delayed because people mistook you for Annika Rice. And uh... <laughs> <laughs> Well, it took me ages to get out of the helicopter as well this morning, frankly. Didn't know where to land. Um, actually, I cycled. I stayed in town, in London town last night. And Ooh. I cycled in this morning. I'm telling you, Graham, it's glove weather already. No, I cycled yes. in. I was fine. Well, yes, but you run on a different temperature to most people, I, I think. And um, my... Day has been slightly tinged with sadness. Why is that, Graham, Deli- Dame Nelly of Norton? Because the statue, Maria... <laughs> isn't of you! Isn't of me, it isn't of Chris Evans, it isn't of you. I know. What is it of? I tell you what it is. Well, there's a clue, because there's one opposite. This is the statue outside the building, ladies and gentlemen, and at London Bridge Station. It's. I looked at it this morning. It did say, don't climb. Please don't climb on it. So you climbed it? Yeah. Uh, so I climbed up to the top to see exactly what it was. <laughs> Why I shouldn't climb it. And there's lots of different... Um, sort of Chinese letters and uh, figures and so on. It's just, it's basically a sort of top half of a torso done in beautiful metal. It's rather nice. I don't know who it is. It could be... Mm, I don't French. know. Yeah. No, no. Not with her nice new hair. Oh, yes, um, lovely new hair. <laughs> I don't know who it is. It's nobody. That's it's, I, I, do, I think it's quite abstract. Yeah, but it's, it's very, a- very, very pleasing. Yes, but given that it was wrapped in bin bags for months, the expectation was this is going to be really exciting when it's all done. <laughs> and it's wrapped got... in bin bags. Well, I don't know. It was covered in I know, something. it did look like there was going to be a great reveal. Yes, and you've got to think, oh, I can't believe it's them. And it's just like, oh, it's just some metal, thanks. Graham, I went and did Mastermind in Belfast. Oh, the... I forgot! Yes, you did Mastermind! The be- Celebrity Mastermind. The beautiful city of Belfast, which is so pretty. I haven't been there since 1986 when I was a very young pup, I have to say people because it's a long time ago but that was in the middle of the troubles and um maria's troubles yeah my troubles exactly (laughs) um and it's so lovely and i wandered around the streets when i you know i flew in i thought i'm gonna have a little explore and i just saw a bar that just said liquor (laughs) i thought that was so irish (laughs) that'll do so i went in and just you know had quick gin and tonic and just people are so friendly i mean you cannot take that away from the irish yeah they are Super friendly. And also, people forget the, the setting. Belfast, the setting for a city is just gorgeous with the mountains all around, the sea down. It's a bit like Edinburgh. It's gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. Really, really, really it's nice. It's absolutely extraordinary. And they, where I was staying, they had a 23rd floor bar. A, you know, glass of champagne costs £25, obviously. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I'll, I'll stick to going to liquor, thank you, <laughs> where I know the gin and tonic is £5.50. Um, <laughs> and um, I just did lots of shots of the, you know, aerial views, and it's just the most beautiful place. And sadly, I was only there for an, a day. But I did not embarrass myself. Oh, good. I don't think I have to leave the country, Graham. I mean, you know, my charity, Fellowship of St Nicholas, her £3,000 better off, because it was for charity, 
and um, I fluffed a lot. It's very pressurised, the light and the chair. And Clive Myrie, who is the new host, what a sensation he is. Do, do, you, do you feel like he knows the answers? Because I always felt, you know, with, with Magnus, you always felt like... No, Magnus, you're going too, back too far. It was John Humphreys. Yeah, but you know, Magnus oh, yeah, did do in the original. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, that... <laughs> you've gone too far in time. You've got, a... It's, it's a, you've crossed some through space and <laughs> you've time. Crossed the Rubicon. <laughs> um, yes. What did you feel about Magnus? Well, that he knew the answers. That you know, if you didn't know the answer, he he was actually thinking well, you are silly because he did know it. Uh, where is it? Well, of course they know it because they've got it written down I on know, a piece of paper. No, you felt you felt like he was so clever. Oh, I uh, see. Does Clive give you that impression? Yes, Clive is very very clever. He's also very funny and more than a little sexy. Can I? say that at this time of day oh my goodness Maria. yeah yeah no wonder you're distracted are you are you pretending to find him sexy so you can say that's why i got some questions wrong <laughs> i was so distracted no i i think he is very very he's funny and that makes him charming and that makes him seem very appealing when can we see you on television and judge you harshly I, yeah do judge me harshly <laughs> um i do believe it's going out sometime in january but i'm not entirely sure <laughs> suddenly yeah. Maria, i'm not sure i'm, I'm looking, at, yeah, I'm looking I, yeah. at my paper as if it might be written down somewhere yeah um, and, and there's no specific date yeah. but I did it with the Vivian who was the winner of RuPaul's Drag Race in 2019 oh yes and she was so fabulous and funny both okay. on and off luckily I had to get a plane home otherwise I think I'd still be laying in the bar with her because d- when did you record it evening or day Monday evening oh evening or five okay. o- it's three o'clock or something and okay, then, so yeah. we were in the bar for no a just while. day drag is hard day drag yeah yeah it's very very hard to pull off day drag that I am. Well done, you. Well, do you speak from experience? <laughs> yes, I do. Uh, you, you sort your letters out, oh, yes. and uh, then we'll start Graham's Guide. Virgin Radio. I have a letter here and I'm about to read it out, which goes like this. Dear Graham and Maria, me and my boyfriend have been chatting about moving in together for over a year now and any time we're making any sort of progress in finding somewhere, he backs out within a couple of weeks. It's incredibly frustrating and I've asked whether it's because he doesn't want to live with me, but he assures me it's not. He's just incredibly comfortable at home and doesn't want to spend money on renting a place where he can, when he can live rent-free. We're in our late 20s now and whilst I get that there's financial strain, the fact that we'll be living together will surely make it cheaper. I'm happy to compromise on area, but he's not budging and I'm getting tired of the same discussions every time. Do I just give up? And that is from Jenna in Nottingham. Jenna in Nottingham, I feel your pain. And also, I blame the parents, his parents. What is he doing, still living at home, almost 30, rent-free? I mean, you know... I don't know what your boyfriend's name is, Jenna, but he's got it all going on. I'm sure his mum is still doing his washing, meals made. He gets to see you when he wants a bit of niceness. And, you know, life is fine. And he's stacking up the money because he sure as hell ain't paying any rent, as you say. Now, I just think... And when you say, um, you know... I'm happy to compromise on air, but he's not budging. What does he want? The house next door to his mum and dad? Is that what he's waiting for <laughs> until that comes up? I mean, I just feel, Jenna, that this may come to an ultimatum. Yeah. But then again, do you really want to be with someone who won't commit? 
Because he's told you he will, and now he's saying, oh, no, I, I'd rather live rent-free. I mean, if that's how you want to live, mate, OK, stay with your mum and dad forever. Because at some point, you've got to grow up and smell the roses and start a relationship with someone. It can't just be about money. It just, you know, you... Surely you 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 need to want to live with somebody and nest together and create lovely things because that's part of a relationship. So I'm doubting, Jenna, whether this is the man for you. Yes, I must say, surely he wants some independence. Surely he wants to open a kitchen cupboard and see some things he chose rather than, you know, a mug that your mother won in a raffle in 1957. <laughs> well, why? Because he's, you know, it's not costing him any money. But, he's but, too no, but comfortable, I'm, no, but I'm with he? you. It's, it's about more than money. Yes, it would be great if your entire life could be rent-free, but it will also be great that your entire life is independent. I mean, uh, but I agree with you. I think the parents must be exerting some almost pressure on him to stay because, you know, they're going to go, oh, we'll convert the attic into a flat. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? You'd like it up there. Um, it's just, this is crazy. And I think, Jenna, you, you in a way, you know, you say you don't want to keep having the same discussion. Well, have a new discussion. Have a discussion where you go, right, either we you are commit. we are in a flat together by the end of, say, next January, which seems a long time, but, you know, that gives them lots of time, um, or I walk away from this because I can't, I don't want to live with, I don't want to go date some guy who, who lives, lives at home with his parents. And, and the thing about ultimatums, Jenna, is if you make one, you better stick with it or that all is lost. So it, you need to be sure. You need to be absolutely certain that, there's that, something that you can walk away. Yes. Do you think, Graham, that there's something about maybe his parents don't like Jenna? What do you think of that? Have I thrown a curveball into the mix? I mean, are they putting pressure on him to say, don't move in with her, that will cost you a lot of money and it will all end in tears imminently? Or the other thing is, it could be he doesn't like Jenna. Well, yeah, but, you know, she has asked him, but then, you know, possibly a bit weakly saying, no, no, it's not you, it's just I'd rather live rent-free. I mean, by saying that, he's also saying, it is you. Yeah, because it's like saying, if it was someone else, I might move out. Yeah. But you're not, yeah. Somebody I, else, yeah. when it's worth paying the money. <laughs> but as it is, I've got everything I want and uh, it's not costing me anything. And actually, it could be kind of like, well, I don't want to get a flat with you because I'm thinking of getting rid of you quite soon. So it seems silly to sign a lease. So, you know, who knows what's going on? But Jenna, you need to stop talking in circles and start a new discussion where you basically make him fess up or get the flat or you know whatever but something's got to happen here you cannot keep talking in this yeah. circle you've got to make a break and then you have to think jenna do you really want to live with somebody who has given you this much grief so early on in your relationship yeah. what's it going to be like if you have children yeah. just saying just saying just saying and uh, you can never predict which of these problems is going to resonate with you guys this one <laughs> you had opinions uh, huge response to jenna in nottingham uh, let's see what you thought as always my favorite bit of advice we'll get something gorgeous from waitrose and today you're getting waitrose partners number one apple danish tart it's a danish pastry topped with chunks of apple and apple compote with cinnamon sugar and a sweet glaze Oh, I could murder that right now. Do you think, Mar Do you think Martha's making that? No, she's not. Anyway, I'm sure whatever she's making was lovely, but it, it won't be that. 
Anyway, here we go. Uh, so, Jenna. Basically, uh, Jenna, a lot of this advice is, <laughs> is kind of the same. Uh, Cleo in Rochford. Jenna, run. You're going to dodge a bullet. I wasted so many years with someone like this. Get out of there now. Learn from your elders. Russell in Portsmouth. I agree with Maria. She should give the chump an ultimatum. Move in with me or we're done. Tough love is needed. Uh, Mark in Portsmouth. Gemma, four words. Dump the mummy's boy. Shazen Swansea. Dump your man-child. I mean, it's... <laughs> It's not great, is it? Rosanna, dump him and run. <laughs> Melissa and Saints, just call it a day. He's stringing you along. And don't forget, life gets much more complicated than this. He'll be a nightmare in the future. Marriage, kids, moving house, move on and find someone willing to move forwards with you. Uh, Karen in North London. Uh, Jenna, Gemma, Jenna also needs to be prepared for him to agree to her ultimatum. And then they move in together and then the cracks become chasms and they break up after six months living together. He's been used to comfy, waited upon life, so that will be a habit he can't break. So please get a good break clause in the lease. Hashtag speaking from experience. All right, thank you, Karen. Tina in Suddingdale. Uh, Jenna should tell him to poop or get off the pot. He's wasting her time and she needs to move on if he is not serious. Catherine Norfolk. Jenna needs to give Peter Pan an ultimatum. Uh, if he's not excited about moving Moving in with her, then he's going to drag his heels about every commitment. Marriage, kids, no! Uh, Lauren and Leeds, my advice to Jenna, he does not want to live with you. And it's too much of a wimp to tell you. I wouldn't even give him an ultimatum. Just sack uh, him now and move on with your life. Don't waste any more time on him. You won't regret it. Well, good luck, Jenna. I mean, it seems like uh, everything's going to go really well for you. Yeah, great. Um, I'm going to give the Danish apple tart to Karen in North London because she's speaking from experience. She's suffered. She's, suffered. she's earned a sweet treat. Graham's Guide. Here's question number two. Dear Graham and Maria, I currently work in accountancy. <laughs> 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 well, yes. <clears throat> I currently work in accountancy and I'm considering a career change as I find my job incredibly boring. All right. It's just not for me. All of my friends are in similar positions but are very comfortable living outside of the nine-to-five life. I've brought it up before and said I want to work in something I'm passionate about but they think I'm ridiculous if, if it means I'll be losing money. There are a few things I'd look into because I'm not 100% set on what I want to do. But I know it's just not what I'm doing now. My friends and family's reservations are making me question, though, whether I should just stay put. What do you think I should do? And that is from Lily in Gloucester. Well, of course... Leaving accountancy, yes, would be a lovely idea, but it does sound, Lily in Gloucester, as though you're earning quite a bit of cash. So the problem is here, you have no clear idea of what you want to do. I mean, that is the first thing you need to really think about. What are you passionate about? I mean, it may well be that working as an accountant has sort of robbed you of all your passion, but you need to get hold of that and find out, is it helping children? Is it, you know, working in the arts world? Is it, what is it? What are you good at? What do you think your skills are? You need to make lists of this because at the moment it's all a bit woolly. And so, of course, you're going to be swayed by friends and family who are saying, don't give up a good job that gives you lots of money. The second thing is, Get as much money as you can in the bank from this accountancy job. 
Really stockpile that cash. Cream off a bit from some of your clients. No, I'm joking. And so, <laughs> and so, that, and then give yourself a, a point where you're going to leave. So you go, I'm going to cream off. No, no I'm not going to cream off. I'm going to save up as much as I can so that I've got a fallback. And then when all this time you'll be thinking about something concrete and give yourself an end date. It's all a bit wishy-washy at the moment. I understand you want to leave, but without that 100% passion, which you, you mentioned nothing of, I'm not sure this is a good idea. Well, the trouble is, I think, people are sold a kind of pipe dream. You know, all this kind of follow your dream and do what you're passionate about, blah, 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 blah. You know, job satisfaction, I think, comes in all sorts of different ways. Yeah. And, yes, you find it boring, Lily. That's why they pay you to show up. If it was a, you know, a non-stop hoot, you'd be there, you know, for free. So, you know, I always think about my dad. My dad hated his job, but his job satisfaction came from paying the mortgage, feeding us, giving us, you know, seeing me clothes and things yeah. like that. That was his job satisfaction. Was he, was he the king of Ireland? Yes, he was. Mm, yeah, mm, but he found no so. satisfaction I, in it. I know. No, no. Quite, quite a difficult he, job. He, did, he didn't like it. He really didn't. <laughs> he was the last one, in fact. <laughs> Um, so, Lily, you know, think long and hard, because actually, if you, you know, decide pottery is your thing, yes, you may love potting. You won't like sitting around with no money and while all your friends are gallivanting around the country and buying lots of lovely things. So, you know... It seems to be the nine-to-five aspect that Lily well, doesn't I, yeah, well, like. But I think the thing is, they... You, I think her friends have figured out, OK, we're doing this dull thing between nine and five, but then between five and nine, we're living the high life. We're having a great time. And that's that's where we find our joy. That was the thing. And I think Lily maybe isn't enjoying the five to nine bit of her life as much. Yes. So I don't know what to tell you, Lily. Uh, if, if you had a concrete passion, if you had something you actually wanted to do, then we could say, oh, that's a good idea. Or we could say, well, you think long and hard. because Concrete you'll never... passion, not good. There's no. no money in concrete. And also it's very hard to get hold of at the <laughs> well, there's moment. There's a lot of money in concrete. Oh, is there? Yeah. But, well, oh, yeah. No, but you can't get hold of it. <laughs> that's why there's so much money in it. Yeah. <laughs> Start making some concrete, Lily. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you need to give... If you're really going to do this, give yourself some deadlines and find your 100% passion, yes, because but, otherwise but, it's pointless. Uh, and it's, also start having the, the five till nine fun. Yes, I think start having that fun. Don't because, live an accountant's life 24-7. Yeah, if there was a passion in your life, you'd know it by now. You know, I think here's the thing, uh, Lily, maybe accountancy is too far in one direction but you could stay in a nine to five life with a good job but you know there must be a way to kind of veer into another bit of commerce Accountancy. or you know look around the office is there anyone is there anyone in the office whose job you think mm, that looks a bit nicer than mine yes go and do accountancy for a film company or something so that there's some element of what about that that's a good idea and then yes. and then you're interested in the product and you know you've, you to find another skill in accountancy because clearly that's what you learn how to do yeah and I it mean, would be foolish to throw it away yes i i feel I, yes i feel Lily's slightly in cloud cuckoo land, thinking that there's this other life she could be living where she's doing something that is completely fulfilling. And yeah, I, I don't think that exists, really. Um, certainly, you know, and, and none of your friends think that exists for you either, Lily. Or, yeah. yeah. Maybe listen to I'd them. I'd like you to get back to us in six months, Lily, and let us know how it's going. And also, can you let me have my accounts back? Because you've been <laughs> doing them for quite a long time now. Yeah, she's not even good at that. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of crossing out. <laughs> 
<laughs> shouldn't correct any of her mistakes. None of her workings out are there either. Good uh, luck, Lily. Yes, good luck, Lily. Look, I'm, you know, I'm, I, I know I sound kind of down on your plan. If you do find your passion, great. Follow it. Do it. But, you know, be prepared for the huge financial impact that will have on your life. Yeah, um, stockpile. Yeah. Stockpile the cash. Stockpile. Uh, let's see what you all thought. Uh, my favourite bit of advice will, of course, get that Waitrose apple Danish tart. Russell in Portsmouth. Uh, go for it. Oh, hello. If it all goes Pete Tong, you can always work for a different accountancy company that is far more stimulating. Here's the thing. Yeah, you have a... Now, we forgot this bit, Lily. You have a skill. So, actually... It, Yes, I think Russell's right. You can go for it. I was being very cautious, but you can go for it because you'll, you know, nothing's happening in accountancy, is it? I mean, you'll, you know, you can take a few months off and then come back to it. Mary and Cheltenham, try doing some volunteer work in your spare time in different work environments so you can see if you have a passion for some other path. Oh, Sue is a life coach. Okay. Oh. I thought we were going to get some free advice from Sue. No, Sue's cannier than that. Sue, Sue goes, I'm a life coach. The accounting lady should get one to find out what gets into a flow. Gets her into a flow. OK, thanks for nothing, Sue. Uh, Catherine is a freelance teacher. Uh, do freelance accounting. Now that, again, good idea. Work your own hours. Give yourself the freedom of escaping nine to five. But keep the big bucks coming in. Escaping the nine to five ten years ago was the best thing I ever did. Thank you very much, Catherine. Alex, uh, I was an accountant, followed my passion, and I'm now a professional photographer. I saved money for a year off and then worked three years part-time before I could support myself at photography. Love what I do now, but it was the pull of photography rather than the push from accountancy that kept me going. And that is key, I think. Uh, yeah, Lily, that, you know, you, you've got to have something you really, really want to do. Roots in Belfast, you could consider going part-time and use the extra days to explore passions. That way, Lily keeps the financial security but can satisfy her curiosity for what else is out there. Best of both worlds. Hope it works out. Tim, leave straight away. Don't hesitate. Forget the money. Life's too short. Oh, Tim. Pam Morgan, accounting, perhaps she should look at the volunteer sector whilst keeping her current role. Get involved with a charity that interests her, this could lead to paid opportunities in the future using current skills or in a completely different role. Um, Bob in Bournemouth says, I suggest you request flexible working and works four days a week. Uh, with one day off a week, she can try out new work experiences until she finds her passion. Um, good. The final one, uh, Paul from Peckham. Good morning. Uh, many of us have interests that we'd like to pursue as a living, knitting, singing, tap dancing, etc. But we all live in the real world and I've realised that we to earn a proper living to survive. Wake up, Lily, and stop these silly dreams. All right, there we go. Uh, who's going to get the apple thing? I'm going to give it to uh, Alex in London, who was uh, an accountant and now is a photographer. There you go. The Graham Norton Radio Show Podcast. Virgin Radio. Time for my first guest of the day. Uh, Darren Brown should be on the line now. Hello, Darren Brown. Hello, good morning. Hey! Hi. You, you sound very perky. Were you on stage last night? I was, I was, yes. I, I'm slightly faking perky because it was quite a late night. This isn't my natural, yeah. normal Join the club. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, nice to talk to you, though. Oh, so nice to talk to you. And thank you for your book, uh, A Book of Secrets by Darren Brown, Finding Solace in a Stubborn World. So this book, I, I, I was trying to think how to describe it, and... I think maybe one of the good words is it's a thoughtful book. It seems like it is you sort of thinking on the page and working stuff out for yourself and for us. Is that fair? 
genre transcending, I think, is the term you're saying. There you go. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, I, I, I'm really interested in um, how we live and navigate a complicated world because we are sort of fed, I think, a, a, a bit of a... I think it's a bit of a lie that if we believe in ourselves enough and if we set our goals and blah, 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 then, then the universe will somehow kind of, you know, comply. And it's an idea that's been around for a while. It's got its roots in Protestantism, weirdly, Calvinism. It's a, it's a strangely religious uh, mode of hard work. Um, but actually, the reality is, you know, life often doesn't go the way we want it to. And the Greeks used to know this, you know, Stoicism. Uh, was a, a very popular philosophy a couple of thousand years ago. It's having a resurgence now. And a couple of years ago, I wrote a book about stoicism called Happy, um, which sort of acknowledges that fact and ha helps us make peace with the fact that the world doesn't always go the way we want, to sort of move in easier accordance with, with fate, they would have said. And um, while I think that's very helpful, stoicism doesn't have a lot to say about connection and openness and, and kindness and those kind of things. Uh, so this book is about that. It's about how we can draw our center of gravity within us, but also remain open and porous and, and, and connected. And, and I think all these things are important because life is life is complicated. Yeah, you said that's exactly life is complicated. And I like you, you talk about embracing kind of the grey or ambiguity that things aren't just kind of happy or sad. There's a lot. Most of our lives are somewhere in between. Most of our lives are somewhere in between. And most uh, you know, life is life is nuance, and growing up is about how much ambiguity we can tolerate. Um, and if we don't, the things that we don't tolerate uh, in ourselves or in others or in society, the things that we banish in one way or another, and it's the inner life that interests me most. So I'm mainly thinking about the things within ourselves. Um, have a habit of coming back and biting us. It's 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 the power of fairy stories. You know the old the the, the idea of the the um, the evil godmother who was banished from the from the um, from the christening, you know, and she, and she she comes back, she gates crashes and lays a curse on the baby, and it's a very um, resonant idea because it ties in with this idea that the things that we banish from ourselves have a habit of just gaining power in the background and eventually coming back to 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 get us. And I think whether that's in our own lives or how we look at the world and the things that we decide don't exist or shouldn't exist or aren't important. You know, they, they have a habit of gaining a, a power. So, yeah, approaching life um, with an with a, with a increased tolerance for ambiguity, I think it's, uh, it's hugely important. And I talk about middle age, which, you know, I'm 50 now, so I'm very much, um, <laughs> and I'm probably generously calling it middle age, but I'm very much in the, right in the, in the middle of that. And I think that's, um, that's a very rich area as well. Because, again, it's... We don't have a, you know, we don't have a map for that kind of stuff, really. It's like it's like adolescence again. It's like going back through. But we all know we all look back on adolescence and we kind of, you know, forgive it and understand it. But we don't have the same tolerance looking forward to middle age, which is really just another kind of you know, another process. Again, we, we, we lack these sort of mythical roadmaps. Uh, we've, we've sort of lost them somehow. Yeah. I, one of the things I like you talking about is relationships and that the ambiguity there where you want to be with someone. <laughs> <laughs> but you also want to be alone. Um, uh, yeah. uh, where, where do you fall? How do you kind of make sense of that push me, pull you thing? Oh, um, yeah. Well, I think we, we're best, you know, uh, teaching and passing on thoughts about things that we ourselves need to, need to learn about. That's normally how we kind of find the language for them. See, I'm, 
I find that a lot. Like I love, I love being in a relationship, but I'm also um, always seem desperate to <laughs> desperate to be on my own, um, which is, you know, again. So there's a great, you know, example yeah. of how things are never quite uh, as simple as you want. So big, it's, big house, I would say, big house. Big house that worked. <laughs> and a garden and a, a, a bench. Two houses. <laughs> <laughs> um, and w- when you, you you talk towards the end of the book about questions we should ask ourselves, we should all ask ourselves, uh, tell us some of those. Oh, well, I, so this is, I, I, I finished the book talking about um, uh, an odd thing, but it's the, the importance of trying to show up at the centre of your own life. Um, and because, you know, it's, it's easier to sort of become a bit of a, a, a passenger. Uh, there's, there's some research that was done by palliative care nurses asking their patients what, what advice they'd give from their last sort of days. And the big, essentially, they, their regrets, the most common regret of the dying, it's almost universal, is I wish I'd lived the life that I wanted to and not the life that others wanted me to. It's really a fascinating thing. Um, so I think ultimately it's sort of about that, isn't it? It's about how we find ways... And particularly, I think, as you sort of navigate the middle passage of life, yeah. how you find ways of, of um, uh, you know, leaning into your passions, understanding what they are, looking out for them and recognizing them. Uh, we spend most of the first half of our life absorbing a whole load of messages from the outside about what, what we should be doing and what's important, because we're very interested in that, that bit of our life and staking our claim in the world and like, who are we and, and what's our status and what should we be doing? And then that, that dialogue with the world should shift in the second half to a dialogue with ourselves. There should, be, there should really be a, a, a natural passage into where we sit with ourselves rather than where we sit with the world. So kind of you know, being, being ambitious and, and, and driven in the second half of life can sit less comfortably it's really more about how i think how you sit with yourself so those kind of questions um you know what should i be doing if it wasn't if it wasn't for all the kind of if it wasn't for the broken compass i inherited when i was young and if it wasn't for all the messages i've been given that are slightly off kill what what should i be doing if none of this it's an impossible question to answer really but leaning into those kind of yeah questions are important and then you bring the answers into the relationships you have i think that's that's important you bring them gently uh, into the connections that uh, that already exist you talked about you know 50 and how you approach life slightly differently in in middle age and it seems to me you're doing that you're taking your own advice you're you know exploring lots of other strings to your bow you mentioned painting there uh, richard chadwick in littleborough uh, he wants to know how your street photography is going yeah street photography i do i i love that i had a, a book out a few years ago um uh of some photos of my yeah i love it i haven't done it for a long time because i've been mainly writing and i think it turns out that writing is is the opposite headspace to, to taking photos so they're a bit incompatible but i've got my camera with me on tour i'm on tour at the moment and i the plan is to um is to go out and take photos in the day so if i can find breaks from uh find breaks from book writing then yeah i'll be i'll be straight on it that's nice of him to ask. So the street photography, this painting, there's the writing, but as you mentioned, the tour. This is uh, the showman tour. So mm. uh, how long had it been when you when you went back on stage? What? How long had your break been? Uh, well, gosh, well, yeah, a couple of years. So it was due to start the first day that lockdown started, and um, at that point, so this is pre-COVID. It was a, it was a, written as a show about how the things in life that seem to isolate us actually are very often the very things that bring us together, right? Because, again, when we find ourselves in those difficult moments in life, they feel very isolated, but actually they're normally just the 
it's what life does, right? It brings us to these difficult moments. So we're actually sharing in, in the, the, the weight of life, you know, the experience of being human. And the, the, the show was about that. And then lockdown happened, which, of course, was a very literal play out of exactly that. You know, the things that yeah. isolate us and the things that we share. So um, we had a couple of years to kind of uh, rethink the show a little bit. And we all, I say we, this is the, the three of us that kind of create the show just lent back into that a little bit more. And um, other things happened, sort of personal things that are included in the show. Uh, and it's ended up being a kind of um, a show a very much, I think, for, for this moment, if that's all right to say. It's, a, it's sort of uh, it's sitting, and the responses to it have been amazing. And I think it's partly because of that, I think because of what we've all yeah. been through in one way or another. So it's, it's that, that two-year, or whatever it was, gap, and amazing that people were happy to have their tickets sort of just rolled over to the because there was a couple of like full starts. We thought we were going to get the show back on the road again and then didn't. And amazingly, people were happy just to have their tickets transferred to the next one. Um, so it's really lovely. And actually, just I think the experience of just being in a, in a theatre again, just like a, a whole load of people and just doing a show. I mean, it's, it's all things that it just felt like would never which has never happened. I could never imagine it happening <laughs> and, again. And Darren, I'm fascinated. How do you rehearse? How do you get ready for a show like this when it's so much of it is kind of working the crowd, yeah. working the audience? How how do you do it when you're just you know sat in a in a rehearsal studio or where I do know. yeah? How do you do it? Yeah, there's no there's no real answer to that. So because in the previous show or one of the previous shows, Miracle, the whole second half was was faith healing, and it uh, as as with some of the things I do in this show as well, it just relies on having a large audience because you need like a certain percentage, you know, will kind of, you know, respond. And you just can't, you can't rehearse that at all. I just have to sort of <laughs> kind of hope that it, and sort of presume that it will work. And then you just go out on the first night and all I can do is plan those sections so that if they don't work, if the sort of that 90% psychological component doesn't work, then there's, 10% of stuff that I know will, and I can just get through that and then we'll have to reconsider it for the second <laughs> night. But uh, so, yeah, it, there's no easy way around it. And the first week of, of doing those things is, is often a bit uh, kind of, you know, your heart's in your mouth. But that the first night is, yeah, extraordinary. Sounds and then, of course, of course, it does work and then it's amazing. Hey, <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, where, yeah. where is your next, where's your next uh, show? Uh, I'm in Blackpool at the moment and then I'm uh, in Bradford next week. And then I think I've got a little bit of a break and then it continues after that. And I don't quite Eastbourne. I'm going to Eastbourne. I'm going to Birmingham. Um, and then I break. And then all next year, I'm touring. i got a 10-month stint uh, next year, which is the longest I've, I've wow. done. But I love this so much, so I am looking forward to that. Well, if people go online, they can well. find out where you'll perform and they can get uh, tickets for Sherman. And the book, A Book of Secrets, Finding Solace in a Stubborn World, is out now. A pleasure, as always, to talk to you, Darren Brown. Enjoy oh, what a treat. Thank you. Uh, no, go lie down. <laughs> I go straight back to bed yeah. like I'm not in bed or at the moment already. Uh, thank you so much thanks All for right. having me take care Darren The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose you can taste when it's Waitrose Virgin Radio now this is exciting legendary Queen drummer Roger Taylor has a new solo album it came out yesterday and he's also on tour what else is he doing Talking to us right now. Hello, Roger Taylor. <laughs> Good morning, Graham. Uh, now, how are you? Because tonight's a big night. It's a lot of firsts for you tonight. <laughs> yeah, for an old one, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, 
first time I've been allowed out after all this uh, pandemic thing. And uh, no, it's very exciting. I'm in Newcastle. We open tonight uh, of a fairly short tour. First time I've done it in 20 years. So uh, I'm kind of uh, kind of nervous, but uh, excited. Very excited. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, it must be because this is your first time, as you say, for over two decades without the rest of Queen. Do, That's right. I mean, yeah. You know, uh, I was either hiding behind Freddie Mercury or Adam Lambert before, and uh, <laughs> I'll be out there myself tonight. But I've got an incredible, an incredible band put together, so uh, it, should, it should be a fun, a fun night. It is interesting that idea of you know when the drummer steps forward, the drummer <laughs> takes the the centre role. When I mean, obviously, when you'd Freddie in Queen, there were, you know that was the front man to end all front men. But when when you lost Freddie, what what were the discussions like in the band? Was there a kind of a you do it, you do it, you do it? Well, not not at all, really. I mean, when we lost Freddie, Brian and I thought this is all over. This is the end of Queen. It's been incredible, and thank you very much, and good night. But. Um, it just events conspired to to keep it all going, and and then eventually when we went out with Paul Rogers, but when we met Adam Lambert, we we met the perfect um, guy to sing our songs, and obviously he's not Freddie, he doesn't try to be, he, he's just himself. He's a wonderful singer, and he fits in so well with the Queen uh, with the Queen material. Um, it's, he's a joy to work with, I've got to say. So tonight, when you get on stage, I mean, I feel for you because it's a new album, Outsiders, the album yeah. came out yesterday, 12 new tracks. Like, presumably, you just want to play 12 new babies. You, you, <laughs> um, but, the, you know, so how many, how many are you going to be doing tonight in Newcastle? Oh, well, how many of my new babies? Have yeah. been, uh, I don't know, maybe half a dozen. Okay. Um, but uh, obviously there'll be a sprinkling. I think it'd be a bit unfair on the audience if I didn't play any any Queen stuff or any of, you know, maybe a couple of my old ones as well. So I, I think the expectation would be to hear some Queen music. Um, after all, I was I was pretty involved. Yep. Um, so, I, you know, I, I think a smattering of, of this and that. So uh, hopefully a good um, array of, of different stuff. Yeah. And obviously, this has been a terrible time for for musicians and performers. But you, you know, you 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 know, you made lemonade. <laughs> this this album it really <laughs> happened because of because of COVID. Absolutely. I mean, I I thought, well, here I am. I was stuck in Cornwall. Uh, it wasn't bad, you know. We had a lot of space, and it was beautiful. But it was a, a terrifying time as well. I think everybody was in the same boat. And uh, so I thought I'm going to make use, some decent use of this time. And uh, I just sort of got creative and it just seemed to roll out. It was uh, in that way. It, it was great. Uh, I'm very happy about that. Yeah. So, Roger, when, so how did the first solo project come about? What, the very first? Yeah. In my, oh, it was in 1980. Uh, and uh, we had a sort of off period with Queen, you know, time off. And I, I went to Switzerland and uh, we had a studio. And I made my own album called Fun in Space all those years ago. And when you did that, did you kind of think, oh, I might really like this and I won't go back? No, I'd never. I mean, the mothership always calls you back, <laughs> you know. Um, uh, it, it was, no, I was always absolutely, completely committed to Queen. But it was just nice to be able to do something that was entirely you and, and you, you could express yourself and only you. And you didn't have to have the rouse. 
Oh, now, come on, no row, surely. <laughs> no, 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 gentlemanly disagreements. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what. I mean, it is interesting, though, you know, the Mothership Queen, it, I, the, there's something about you guys. I mean, everything you touch just turns <laughs> to gold. I mean, We Will Rock You, the movie Bohemian Rhapsody. I mean, it's... it's I mean, I suppose you're living, you're living it. So I guess you experience it very differently from the outside looking in. It just looks like you, whatever you do, is just a massive success. Is that how it feels? Well, uh, yeah, kind of. It might look like that, but it's not quite, not quite that simple. I mean, when we put the the movie out, uh, we had no idea that it was. You know, we hoped it was going to be that people were going to love it, and and thankfully they did. But um, we, there's no, there's no guarantee. You know. Likewise with uh, We Will Rock You, the, the musical. Uh, so, you know, uh, and boy, that had some terrible reviews when it started. <laughs> and uh, uh, we nearly sort of sunk. But uh, obviously people loved it. You're actual people as opposed to critics. Yeah. And, and uh, they just came in droves for 13 years, you know. Um, it was wonderful. Incredible. Who played you in the film? Uh, oh, Ben. Oh, uh, No. Ben Ben Hardy wasn't it? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I, I, he's great, but I'm not sure about some of the clothes. I've been seen dead in some of those. But there we are. <laughs> and you know, I mean, how true to life? I mean, obviously, it's a, it's a fiction, and it needs to kind of a narrative structure. But you know, some of those scenes, how <laughs> how true to life were they? Well, I would say the general story and thrust of the movie was was basically true. But of course, there was artistic license. It was a, an entertainment, and it wasn't a documentary. And of course, we had to do some. They had to play tricks with the with the the timing of it, some of the events. Yeah. Just just to make it work, really, as a piece of um, dramatic entertainment, you know. Um, and I felt we hit all uh, a lot of the right notes, and you know, it's um, bring. Uh, you know, you have to rags to riches. <laughs> Um, fame to fortune and etc uh, uh, etc et but I mean um, it is one of those you know those stories we love a show business story because it is it's dreams it's dreams coming true well um, it is yeah but it had its sad moments you know obviously oh, yeah so, obviously yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, tell me yeah. this we're about to play uh, Radio Gaga so in that movie we saw you, you guy you coming up with Radio Gaga how accurate was that well it, it, that just sort of happened uh, in the studio my son I said, uh, oh, Radio Kaka. <laughs> I was sort of speaking French at the time. And uh, I, I had a synthesizer and I just sort of came up with the song on a Sunday afternoon. And then Freddie and I sort of worked very hard on it. And because uh, Fred, Fred could always see see the light, you know, at the end of any tunnel. And um, so that, that was, it was a nice, uh, ni- nice partnership there on that. But obviously the whole band uh, contributed to it. Yeah. But on it, Roger, uh, hats off to you. Still out there, you know, hustling, writing <laughs> new music on tour. Uh, it's so impressive. Uh, Newcastle tonight, and uh, the tour goes on for fourteen dates, ending at the O2 Shepherd's Bush Empire on the twenty second of October. Uh, Roger, thank you so much for joining us today. Good uh, luck tonight. I'm sure you're going to raise the pleasure. roof. Pleasure. Thank you. We we do it because we love it. Oh, I'm sure, and the audience will too. Take care of yourself, sir. 
Thank you. Thank right. you, Glenn. Bye, bye, bye. Still to come, you get involved with our popular game, Checkout Challenge, and we speak to novelist Robert Harris, who joined us to talk about the Cicero trilogy. But first, let's see what show chef Martha got up to in the kitchen this weekend. The trolley has landed, ladies and gentlemen. Martha Collison, show chef, joins us. Uh, what's on the trolley today? Good morning. Today, <laughs> well, we've got a curry today. Mm. It's miserable outside. You need something to warm us up. So yeah. it is an egg and spinach curry. So maybe not something you might have had in a curry before. I know I hadn't before no. I tried this recipe. But yeah, an unusual one, but really tasty. And I hope that you will enjoy it. <laughs> OK, so uh, is this your recipe? This is not my recipe. This is a recipe by an Indian cookie an Indian cookery writer called Malika Basu. Um, this is a Bengali recipe, um, really authentic and really tasty. Okay, mm. so um, uh, we'll do the rest of the recipe after we eat, eat it. But tell me this: so the egg is the egg in the sauce, or is it like a solid egg? So the egg is—it's kind of instead of the meat or the tofu or the vegetables, you have literally a whole kind of hard, almost hard-boiled egg in the sauce. It's, I'd not seen anything like this before, but I'm not sure if I've had a very sheltered curry life. <laughs> but actually, I had it for dinner last night, and it's a lovely alternative to having meat or something like that. It's a great vegetarian recipe. It's actually, I think it was World Vegetarian Day yesterday. I heard that, I heard that, yeah. <laughs> I've heard. Yeah, 1st October, line. yeah, yeah. Um, and Waitress has got a big push on amazing vegetarian and vegan recipes, and this is one of them. I think sometimes with curry, you just... Always default to chicken. And it's nice to go, actually, do you know what? Let's surprise the husband, the guest, the whatever, and see yeah. what they think of a whole hard-boiled egg in the curry. But also, curry is a really good thing to do for vegetarians because, you know, you don't miss... Because there's, mm. there's so much flavour in the sauce. So long as there's something in that sauce, <laughs> you, you don't really mind, do you? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And there's quite a clever technique here because you, you boil the eggs, then you have to peel the eggs. Now, that's probably one of my most hated kitchen oh, tasks. Really? Oh, really? Oh, an I egg. love that. Do you? Oh, yes. It's so satisfying. Oh, have you when got it, a good technique? No, really. Do you just, <laughs> I just smash it up and then you peel it. But I just, I, when it comes out and that skin thing comes off, yeah. I find that really satisfying. <laughs> oh, I needed to get you in to come and do it then because. <laughs> Really, you hate that? You don't like that? Oh, I just always end up with little tiny bits of the shell. You know, I'm not really giving my chef credentials very much of a glowing review here. But no, anyway, once you've done that part, get some get someone who like you who loves to do it to do yeah. it if you're not a fan. Um, they get kind of um, tossed in turmeric and chilli powder and then fried, kind of just blistered in some oil. So that air, the outside goes a little bit crispy and it really kind of helps it to attach to the lovely sauce that you make a bit later on. OK, well, we'll find out how to make the sauce after I've eaten it. Mm, I'm glad you enjoyed it. No, I, I you know, I, I saw them there, the, the <laughs> eggs... <laughs> in the sauce, uh, looking large, and uh, yeah, and you, but absolutely delicious. So we know what you do with the egg. Mm. You you boil the egg, well, nearly hard boil the egg, mm. peel it, roll it, and then fry it. Yes. Uh, what else? How would you make the sauce? When do you put in the spinach? Etc. Mm, yeah, so once you've done the eggs, they literally just go in just for a couple of minutes to get a little bit blistery and then they go into a separate bowl. And then an interesting technique that I've not done before, which apparently is kind of true to Bengali cooking, is you sprinkle a bit of sugar into the oil that's left in the pan, which is why it has a really nice kind of sweetness mm. to the base of the curry. So you put a little bit of sugar in and then in go your onions, 10 minutes of them softening, getting really lovely and sticky. Then in goes your ginger and garlic. I think this is a recipe which is, if you're trying to keep a cold away, which I know I definitely <laughs> I am. I'm terrified of catching this apparent cold. 
this is a good recipe for that because it's got all of those lovely kind of immune boosting ingredients <laughs> ginger mm. garlic turmeric all these things so that goes in next and then followed by some fresh tomatoes so you can use canned tomatoes in the winter but at the moment we're kind of right at the end of tomato season where they're still quite sweet and luscious so a few fresh tomatoes and that's kind of why i love this recipe because it's so fresh everything that goes in is really quick you can do it in kind of under 45 minutes but everything is from actual scratch from a full tomato into the curry base so tomatoes go in next mix it all together bit of water and then the spinach now spinach always amazes me because you put this huge heap on top I know, of the pan it is incredible <laughs> isn't it yeah and it disappears yeah. <laughs> and then you can think oh maybe i could do with a bit more spinach but yeah 250 grams of spinach i think it is and it sounds like a lot but as soon as you've put it in that's a whole bag just, i know yeah that's a whole bag <laughs> it just disappears yeah. and then it kind of makes a lovely kind of green and gives the curry a bit of body as well so it's not just the eggs in kind of a wet sauce it's got these other little bits to chew on and to discover so the the so the curry sauce is it kind of the turmeric and uh, uh, what else was on, uh, the, that was on the, the egg? chili powder yes the chili powder was on the egg so that's left in the pan yes yeah, so there's a little bit in the pan you put a little bit in at the end actually and then also some garam masala goes in right at the end um, which is kind of cinnamon cloves and gives it a little bit more of a kind of autumnal flavour yeah and presumably I mean I, I guess well normally with curry you kind of think oh I can keep that in the fridge for ages because of the eggs do you need to be a bit careful and kind of I mean, I would probably eat this straight away. You could definitely make the base and then do the eggs at another time. So keep do a big batch of the base. I think I'd love to do that, actually. Keep it in the fridge and then just preheat some eggs or maybe some tofu or something else and mix it all in there. Yeah, because actually it makes, me th- it makes me think, yeah, that this curry would work with anything in mm. it, really. Yeah. yeah, definitely. But I would actually, I would recommend people giving it a go with the eggs, even if you're a bit, mm, not sure, I think. I think that people will like it more than they expect. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you can't say more than that. I liked it more than I thought I would. How was your dinner? (laughs) I thought it was delicious, really delicious. Mm. And there's something about, well, I love an egg anyway. Uh, yes. What it's, do you know what it's like? It's like kind of saucy kedgery, isn't it? It's kind of like mm. a curried, saucy kedgery thing. Yeah, particularly when you mix it with the rice. And I quite liked it because you get all the joy of kind of a hard, kind of soft, semi-soft, hard-boiled egg. And then it's fried. So you get the lovely crispy bits you'd have on a fried egg. So it's like kind of best of both worlds and... In the egg. <laughs> As always, if you'd like the recipe for Malika Basu's egg and spinach curry, you go to our Instagram account at Virgin Radio UK and then you keep stabbing at things till eventually something something leads you to the recipe. I did do it. It's the <laughs> it's the thing at the top. The the round picture at the top, isn't that it? Yeah. You don't hit the picture, you hit the thing at the top. Yeah. Yeah, people are putting thumbs up. I think if you've done it, that makes sense to you. If you haven't done it, you're going, Graham, you're talking nonsense. But that is how you do it. Uh, Martha, I will see you tomorrow. Yes, see you uh, Sweet or savoury? Uh, savoury again. Oh, lovely. Mm. I look forward. All right, we'll see you then. Have a lovely Saturday, Martha. Thank you for that gorgeous, gorgeous curry. The Graham Norton Radio Show Podcast. Virgin Radio. Maybe it's the petrol shortage, I don't know, but Martha's arrived without her trolley. No <laughs> no trolley today. Uh, what, what are you carrying in your, in your hot hand? I know, I thought I would just bring it in today because it's just one delicious bowl of food. So today we've got some Alaskan sockeye salmon with chilli, tomato and ginger sauce. A little bit of tender stem broccoli in there as well for you. Mm, lovely. And uh, so this is, so what makes Alaskan sockeye salmon different from your salmon? 
So it's, it's from, I'm guessing, Alaska. Alaska. <laughs> <laughs> it has a sock eye. <laughs> um, it's got this amazing colour. Like, if you see it on the shelves, if you're in Waitress or anything like that, you can see the regular salmon is kind of this kind of peachy colour. And then you've got the wild Alaskan salmon, which is like kind of bright red. And I was having a little Google this morning to see what they actually look like as the whole fish. And I couldn't believe how the fish itself is this luminous red colour. <laughs> yeah, it's really vibrant on the shelf. Like, it mm. looks like a different thing. Yeah. But, but, but it's... It's still salmon, just it's proper, yeah, wild salmon. Yeah, and it's got really deep flavour and it's slightly more oily, I think, than regular salmon. So you get a little bit more firmness and more flavour as well. Yeah, and salmon is one of those things, I mean, because it's so easy to cook. Is it easy to overcook? It is easy to overcook. This has got quite a nice little technique in it for cooking salmon. Um, do you want me to tell you now? Uh, well, I don't know, I don't know. Uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> that could be, because I imagine it's not a long recipe, so why don't you save the technique till right. uh, <laughs> after we have a taste. But all, all I will ask is, so to make this, how it doesn't take long, does no. it? No, so, this for, for, is probably 25 minutes, maybe. From total. start to finish. Yeah. 25 minutes, and that's your sauce and everything. And yeah, da, da, da. everything done. It's a perfect kind of weeknight meal, or if you're rushing around on a Sunday, yeah. if you've just run the London Marathon and need to whip something up <laughs> when you get back in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I'd serve with some potatoes if I just if I just run the marathon. Yeah. <laughs> some mash, please. Uh, right, I'll have a taste. I'll have a taste, and uh, then we'll uh, find out exactly how we make the Alaskan sockeye salmon with chili, tomato, and ginger with Martha Collison. So. Uh, what do we need? What do we do? So we're going to start with the fish. Um, as you were saying, we don't want to overcook it. It's no. really easy to overcook fish. Really, I, by the way, I should say I've eaten it. Delicious. Really nice crispy skin. The sauce mm. is lovely. Uh, sorry, keep going. No, you've got to have crispy skin on a fish, haven't you? Otherwise, yeah. it's just all a bit sloppy. Um, but you want to take your fish. And I think the best way to get crispy skin, particularly with salmon like this, is to put it skin down. So salt it, dry it with kitchen paper so it's not wet. Put it skin side down into a cold frying pan and then put the cold frying pan onto your heat put it on medium and then let it kind of heat up and as it heats up it will crisp the skin but not too aggressively because if you put it into a hot pan it will kind of shrivel a little bit and it kind of shocks the salmon whereas actually if you put it into a cold pan it's much more gentle (laughs) here we go things we didn't know (laughs) it's much more gentle and basically once it's ready it will release itself so you need a non-stick frying pan. That is quite important. Otherwise, you'll be <laughs> yeah, there yeah. for the rest of the day. <laughs> yeah, that, that's very boring. OK, so you so you do that. So how long would you leave it on the skin side? So it takes about kind of five to ten minutes, depending on the thickness of the salmon. Um, okay. And then it will release itself once it's ready to be turned. Then you want to turn it over and then take the pan off the heat. So it's very counter counterintuitive cooking. Take the pan off the heat once it's been flipped over and just leave it to cook for five minutes in the residual heat. Because especially wild Alaskan salmon, it's very lean. So it's got loads of meaty flavour, but it's quite lean. So you don't want to overcook it. And it can overcook more quickly than other fish. Yeah, it can get really dry, can't it? Yeah. Set that to one side and then take that out of the pan after five minutes. Keep it somewhere just on the side. And then the sauce can be made in about five minutes. So it's really super quick. Just kind of put some chilies, some ginger, some garlic into a pan. Cook for a couple of minutes and then throw in some lovely mixed tomatoes. Tablespoon of soy sauce, a little bit of maple syrup. Give it a, a zhuzh. And then tip that over the top of your salmon with some rice, bit of broccoli. Great meal. 
You make it sound so easy. Actually, <laughs> I, it does sound. I mean, it does sound like it's very, it's very achievable. Mm, it Achieve- is very doable. Yeah. <laughs> and if fish isn't your thing, you could do it on any kind of kind of main protein. This would work really nicely. That sauce. Yes. No. I thought that sauce would be nice on a piece of chicken or anything. Mm. It, really nice. It's nice. It's got a, some a smokiness to it. I don't know where that comes from, but it's really, really lovely. Yeah. Gorgeous. I think it's probably cooking the um, ginger and the garlic together, so they get slightly not not burnt, but just slightly not brown. Never burnt. <laughs> never burnt. Show Chef Mark And maple Collison. syrup sometimes has that lovely kind of deep note to it Ooh, as well. Oh, actually, yes, it's probably the maple syrup, isn't it? Yeah, delicious. Uh, that recipe is in the Waitrose Weekend magazine, but you can also find it if you go to the Virgin Radio uh, UK Instagram page and just stab away till you <laughs> uh, you get led to a recipe. Are you, you were trying to look at the runners. Can you see any runners on the bridge there? No. I, can't, I can just about see the end, the end of the bridge. <laughs> Did you see a minion limping by? <laughs> <laughs> That's Chris Evans and the team. Are they running as a pack, we think? Well, probably some of they can't all be the same. I mean, some of them will be better than others, but I guess they'll all have to hold back and let Chris win. Uh, <laughs> no, no one's going to pass Chris out. <laughs> that, that that won't go well. Uh, you know, Martha, thank you very much for uh, delicious Alaskan sockeye salmon with chili, tomato, and ginger. And you'll be back next weekend with more recipes. I will indeed. Thank you so much. Take care of yourself. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. It's time for my guest of the day. Uh, one of, if not the most successful writers of historical fiction in the world right now. Uh, 14 books, all bestsellers under his belt. And he joins us now. Robert Harris. Hello. Hello, Graham. How are you? I'm very well. All the better for hearing you. <laughs> um, so you, you you bring us today your, your trilogy, Cicero Trilogy. But what a lovely thing for you, in a way, to see your three books bound together in one big volume. Uh, it's marvellous. I started writing the books in 2003, so it's taken uh, nearly 20 years, but finally all three are together. It's a, it's my kind of Lord of the Rings, really, <laughs> only without furry feet. Um, and I envisaged it as one huge story of Cicero's life, and um, here it is in one handy thousand-page uh, volume. Good exercise as well as reading, I hope. Of course, yes. If you can't do the marathon, pick up <laughs> pick up the Cicero Trilogy a few times. Um, here's it. I just assumed that, you know, if you're going to write this book, I just thought, oh, Robert Harris obviously knew all of this and that's why he wrote this book. But you know, you had to do so much research. Yes, I thought I, I was a political journalist years ago and I... I really wanted to write about politics, but I was put off kind of inventing a prime minister. How can you invent people uh, when the originals are so crazy? It seems pointless to try and come up with something. I, I couldn't have come up with Boris Johnson out of my imagination. But I uh, looked back at um, ancient Rome and I thought that the story of Cicero and the Roman Republic and the 30 years of its decline is a fantastic story. Uh, I knew that much, but obviously I needed to really get into it and work out how Roman politics worked. And the novel is a kind of West Wing on the Tiber. It's how did you win an election? What was the Senate like? How did you speak in the open air without a microphone to thousands of people? Uh, how, and, and the story of these amazing characters uh, and their intrigues and their deadly rivalries, Caesar, Pompey, Crassus, Cato, uh, I just wanted to tell it as a, as it is a, a a great story, and it took me two years to do the research, and then I another year to write the first volume. So it was a sort of decade long project, really. 
And it's interesting, isn't it, that thing, you know, because we all think the times we're living in are the way things are going to be forever. But the Cicero trilogy really points out, you know, how fragile systems and societies are. Yes, it haunts me. A lot of my books are about this, really. History could have turned out differently in, in Fatherland or Pompeii, where the town is destroyed. And this novel, these three novels, really chart the decline of what had been a centuries-old uh, functioning kind of democracy, really, where certainly all men uh, over 21 with a certain degree of property had the vote. There were about a million Roman citizens across Italy with the vote by the time Cicero was running for consul. And it was an extraordinary system, and they all thought that this would go on forever. But within 25 years, it had completely gone smash. And I think there is uh, a lesson in that for anyone who's complacent about uh, democracy and the system you live in. Nothing lasts forever. Um, and, you know, you can feel it in the air at the moment. Things seem to be uh, nibbling away at the foundations. I think that's one of the reasons why that drew me to write the trilogy in the beginning. I mean, I hear what you're saying, and it is it is depressing, but also uh, <laughs> true. That yes, you do feel like it is, is all. You know, it goes back to that House of Cards thing, doesn't it? it? You feel like it could all tumble. Well, yes. I mean, I started writing the book in, uh, as I say, 2003, researching it. The first volume appeared in 2006, I think, and things. It was a much more stable world. 2006 was before the uh, crash, um, the, the financial crash. It was uh, Tony Blair was prime minister. The place seemed relatively prosperous and stable. Um, um, and, there, and then not as the, as the final volume was coming out, Donald Trump uh, was president in the United States. And we've all seen what's happened since. And there is this sense of, uh, especially I think these days in America, of democracy beginning to come apart at the seams. And, and that's the theme of the Cicero trilogy. His life uh, was spent trying to preserve the Roman Republic and its institutions. And the novels follow him through his rise to power, his time in power, and then his fall. And what a time to be Robert Harris. I mean, you could, you're everywhere. So uh, we've got other things to talk about. We must talk about uh, Munich. Uh, is Munich going to be out Netflix or is it going into cinemas first and then Netflix? It's going to be uh, both. It'll be released at the beginning of January, uh, limited release in cinemas, uh, and then it'll be on the Netflix platform later in, uh, later in the month. And you've got Jeremy Irons playing Chamberlain. Is it? That's right. Yes. Uh, and George Mackay uh, playing uh, his private secretary. Because uh, I've seen pictures of Jeremy Irons and it's sort of uncanny. He looks so like Chamberlain. He does. Um, I wrote a novel um, in 20... Uh, I, can't, I can't remember where they all came out. 2016, uh, a novel called Conclave. And I met Jeremy, who I know... Uh, to discuss playing a cardinal. And I happened to then mention that I was writing about uh, a novel about Chamberlain called Munich, and he le leapt at it right then, five years ago. And so it's one of those bizarre stories where, which so often fail to come true, where someone wants to do something, and through all the vicissitudes, they end up playing the part. And of course, I mean, he does it brilliantly. He looks just like Chamberlain. He's more or less the same age as Chamberlain. He's a bit sexier than Neville Chamberlain. <laughs> I'm willing to concede. <laughs> uh, but that was part of the point, to have someone of, of some stature 
play this rather reviled uh, figure who's written off as sort of weedy and hopeless, whereas actually I think there's a different Chamberlain uh, story to be told. Tell me this, Robert, did you go straight into journalism? Was that a Graham kind of, Norton uh, radio was that, was that, was that always your intention? You can taste when it's Waitrose. Yes, Virgin right radio. from the beginning. And uh, I was lucky. I applied for a, a BBC scheme, uh, training researchers, and I was accepted onto that. So I started at the BBC when I was just 21. Um, in the what was then called a current affairs department, I worked on a programme called Tonight, which was running in the 70s, and then I moved to Panorama. And when did fiction sort of come a-calling? When did you realise... I mean, was that always kind of gnawing at the back of your head that you wanted to, to move into novel writing, or was it just a kind of a, a, a pipe dream? No, I, I wanted to write, and I wrote various uh, non-fiction books, uh, culminating in a book about the Hitler Diaries, Forged Hitler Diaries fiasco, called Selling Hitler, which was made into a television series with Alexis Sale and Jonathan Price. And uh, I'd, re I'd pushed, really, how, as far as I could go in non-fiction. And I had this idea for, uh, for writing a non-fiction book about... Um, what the world would be like if Hitler had won the war. And I decided to do it in a different sort of way, as a sort of guidebook, because there were so many photographs and plans and maps. And, you know, you could do a kind of almost an illustrated guide to a world which didn't exist. And that was so that I started to work on that. And then I realised I needed to invent people to live in this world. And then I had a story. And then I wrote my first novel, Fatherland, which imagined Germany after... Uh, they had, Hitler had won the war and is set in uh, the 1960s. Uh, and from that point on, I never looked back. It, it was like I came home, uh, to, to quote Kate Bush. Um, <laughs> and I, uh, you know, this is what I've done ever since, more than 30 years now. It was because it was so such a marvellous feeling to be able to create a world and, and characters. Um, so that Fatherland became a, a television series, didn't it? Or have I made that up? It was a it was a TV movie starring Rutger Hauer. Ah yes. If I can, between you and me, not terribly good in my opinion. <laughs> no one's listening. You're fine, Robert. Uh, <laughs> uh, now, what I'm sure is very good is the Fear Index. That's coming to Sky. Is it next year? Yes, that was shot this uh, summer, and uh, that is coming out in um, February on Sky Atlantic in four parts. That's a, uh, it's a bit of a departure for me. It's set in the present day, and it's about a, a hedge fund, a financial investment company that is, has a very clever algorithm uh, using artificial intelligence, uh, and the, the, the algorithm goes wrong. And, and this, the, the whole thing actually takes place over 24 hours in Geneva. And it's a sort of financial Frankenstein, really. Um, and I've seen the first episode and it looks pretty good. Oh, excellent. Well, it, I'm thinking of the, you know, the, the, the trilogy, the Cicero trilogy. You mentioned The West Wing. I mentioned House of Cards. I mean, it, is there anybody looking at turning that trilogy into a, a television series? Because it seems ripe. Yeah, well, there are three or four uh, companies um, I'm uh, talking to, um, and we'll just wait and see. It's obviously a pretty huge undertaking um, to do it properly. Uh, but I think the echoes of the past are even stronger now than when I started writing the book, as I was saying to you. The, this was pre-Trump, uh, pre-Brexit, pre 
you know, all the things that have been going on. Uh, and this idea of really the Roman Republic fell in part because of a, a, a complete breakdown in trust between the, the, prolet not the, the proles, as it were, the plebs, the ordinary people, and the elite. And uh, the way in which uh, the elite were isolated and finally brought down by their own members, uh, the fact that the Roman equivalent of billionaires were egging on uh, the, the people of Rome to attack their institution. That has a strange echo in America uh, these days, and that sense of, of, of having outgrown the institutions. Um, so I think that, you know, not, I think it is a, first and foremost a, a good story of, of Cicero's rise and fall. He was a lawyer, brilliant talker. Um, so we follow him through his life and meet these extraordinary characters like Julius Caesar and, and Cato and Crassus. Uh, but so, so you have that story, but you also have something that is relevant to today, I think, which always makes for better drama. Yeah. And tell me this, Robert, you know, studying history as you have, has it made you more optimistic or more pessimistic as you approach life? I think um, a bit of both in a curious way. It makes me more optimistic because if you look back at wartime uh, and on all the calamities that have occurred, you've seen the extraordinary resilience of people, how they come through things which seem almost unimaginable. So to that extent, studying history has acted almost as a kind of religion, religious faith for me, as a, as a means of seeing what humanity is, is capable of surviving. Uh, on the other hand, there is a pessimism in this, as I say, nothing lasts. I mean, I wrote a novel called The Second Sleep, which was about uh, the idea of a society five or six hundred years in the future, looking back at ours, trying to work out through archaeology what had happened to us. And I, I do feel like the Roman Republic and the Cicero Trilogy, things pass away and uh, you have to be prepared for that. Well, Robert, it's been fascinating talking to you. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, keep an eye out for The Fear Index on Sky and Munich on Netflix. And the Cicero Trilogy is out now in hardback. Thank you so much for joining us, Robert. Take care. Lovely to talk, Graham. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. Yes, we're going to play the Check Out Challenge. On the line now, I've got two callers. Uh, first up is Joanna in Appleborough. Hello, Joanna. Hi, good morning. Hi. Did I say that right? Is it Appleborough? Appleborough, yeah. <gasps> it sounds made up. <laughs> no, it's real. It's real. <laughs> Whereabouts is it? <laughs> It's Norfolk. Oh, it sounds... So not far from Norwich. It sounds very pretty. It sounds like a sort of, you know, chocolate box. It's not. OK, fair <laughs> enough. Jo 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 Joanna won't be on the uh, on the town council anytime soon. Uh, lovely. <laughs> All right, you'll be playing against Christine. Christine's in Newmarket. Hello, Christine. Hello, Graham. Hi, how are you today? Uh, I'm good, thank you. Good, good, good. So d now I'll just explain one more time what's happening here. So you two are going head to head for the chance to win the uh, Graham Norton Waitrose hamper full of goodies. All right. So what I do is I'm listing as, a, as if I'm putting them through the checkout. I'm putting through Waitrose best offer items. So these are items they are on special, so they might be slightly less expensive than you think they are. That's all I'm saying. Uh, putting them through. And what you need to kind of tot up in your head how, what value I'm getting to. When you think I've got to £20, you need to shout your name, OK? 
So obviously you're called Joanna and you're called Christine. So that those would be the names. And uh, once the first player shouts their name, the game doesn't stop. We keep going until the second player decides that I've got £20. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah, you both understand this. OK. And whoever is closest to £20 will be the winner of the Checkout Challenge and will win the Waitrose gift box. Here we go. OK. I hope you've got your own bags. Uh, I'm assuming you have. All right. <laughs> Here we go. So, Kellogg's Crunchy Nut Hazelnut and Chocolate Granola. Bon Maman Bitter Orange Fine Shred Marmalade. Kenko Smooth Instant Coffee Refill, 150 grams. Herbal Essence Argon Oil Shampoo, 400 milliliters. I'd pack that separately if I was you. Uh, Lint Excellence Dark Chocolate, 70% cocoa, 100 grams. Walker's Cheesy Watts, it's 12 pack. Gillette Simply Venus Aloe Razors, 4 pack. Bear Yo-Yo's Blackcurrant Flavor, 9 pack. Possibly should have read this first. Um, Terry's Chocolate Orange Minis, sharing bag. Christine, okay, let me just that Christine is going there, okay. And Joanna is still playing on. So next up we've got Tilda Pure Basmati Rice, 50 grams, 500 grams rather. Rye Vita, rye bread, pumpkin seeds and oats, five pack. Joanna. Okay, you're stopping there. Now this is going to be tricky. Uh... So, now, so one of you's under, one of you's over. Uh, the people are just doing sums now to find out who's closer. <laughs> this is very tense, isn't it? Very exciting. But, but can I just say, you both are obviously canny shoppers because you literally, you couldn't have been... You, you both missed the actual uh, £20 moment. But one was under, one was over, but so close. Oh, the... How, how are we doing out there with the sums? Do we need to play a record while we do the sums? <laughs> There's smoke coming out of the calculator, but we have established we have a winner. We thought we would have to go to tiebreak, but we have a winner. Uh, Joanna uh, in Appleborough and Christine in Newmarket are on the line. Are you still both there, ladies? Yes. Yeah. Okay, sorry to prolong the agony. Okay, so here we go. Can I just, also, what great shoppers you both are. Uh, because really you couldn't be closer so Christine you shouted out your name first yeah. turned out you were one pound and five pence under 20 pounds okay. Joanna you then yeah. shouted out you were over by one pound 95 pence Christine is our winner oh well done, you. You get the hamper. Uh, Joanna, is there anyone you'd like to say hello to in the world? Well, firstly, well done, Christine. You enjoy it. And um, <laughs> hello to everyone who knows me and all my family. Oh. And Christine, do uh, you want to shout out anybody on the radio? Um, yeah, to Kerry and my children, Alex and Abby, and anyone else that knows me in the NHS. Oh, well done. Are you a nurse? No, I work as a PA to a regional medical director. Mmm, smell you. Uh, well, <laughs> enjoy your hamper uh, when you get it. And I think they want you to post a picture with a hashtag on it, but that'll all be in the box when you get it. Uh, congratulations. Well done, both of you. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. I couldn't have been closer. What great shoppers you are. 
Thank you so much for joining me for the Graham Norton Radio Show podcast with Waitrose. I'm back on Virgin Radio from 9.30 on Saturday morning. And don't forget, the next episode of the podcast will be out first thing the following Monday. Speak to you then. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio.